Hey friends, I'm coming to you with Stacy and our dog. We're in the back of our truck camper and we are gearing up. We're not quite launched, but we are gearing up for a road trip up the coast, up PCH. And we are concluding today our 12 part series, How to Surf the Dow, Lesson 12, How to Heal the World. We talked about what the Dow is, then we talked about how we can teach it to other people. And now, this big question. Can we do anything for the world? Can we be active? In this context of the Tao's emphasis on Wu Wei, that is, acting by inaction, by going with the flow, does this not lead to too much indifference to injustice? Does it lead us to be complacent when we must face and sometimes even fight or oppose or resist evildoers in the world? Should we partake and participate in the systems of the world that are hurting us? And how can we be better people when we realize all the challenges and the contextual issues that, that kind of weigh us down? That's what we're talking about today. It's a long show. You don't have to listen to it all at once, or you can fall asleep to it, or you can go on a long road trip. But friends, whatever you do, we're so glad you're along for the ride. Let's go. Okay, baby, we are getting ready. <laughs> we're getting ready for something. Yes. Where we're, are we going? We're getting ready for uh, a, a long road trip that we're going to be uh, heading up the coast. And we're not even completely sure of our route uh, or our, you know, our end destination. We're just going to kind of continue up the coast and enjoy ourselves and, and, and let life lead. We really only have one date. My brother's getting married. Yes, yeah, so we Portland, have a wedding. You know, on the Oregon coast. That'll be perfect. We're going to hug the coast, take our time. Sometimes we like to cover lots of ground. Not this time. No, we need to slow down a little bit and, and just kind of be able to be and, and be able to like, you know, park our camper and live in a certain area just for a couple of days and kind yeah. of get a sense. Of, and that's usually By a couple, when, sometimes seven to 14. Yeah. You know, we sometimes go too fast. It's usually when we are able to meet folks as well. Uh, and, and sometimes even become lifelong friends with them. But when we're yeah. able to, you know, when we hang out somewhere for a couple of days and, you know, we share fires or whatever, and it's always kind of a, a fun thing. But I will say that the scary thing about going on a road trip for those of you that maybe, you know, maybe you're like, oh, I wish I could go on a road trip and all that. <laughs> um, there is something silly that really happens before us uh, getting ready for a trip. We like almost always like we, we, we come so close to almost getting a divorce. Every time <laughs> we're about to go on a trip. Yeah. Then Mostly, I think it's just a couple this, days in then we have always, this wonderful time. Yes. And then we, and then we move it, move into a flow, but no, it's the anticipation. I think sometimes of um, making sure we have everything, the stress of, you know, leaving on time. Uh, and well, I had, I had a lot of stress about this when I was a kid. Because, mm -hmm. you know, some, my mom would take a long time to get out the door. God bless her. We might be going to Disneyland. I remember one time we were going to go to Disneyland. We couldn't get out the door. We were going to get ready at, you know, 7 or something. Now it's like 2 in the afternoon. <laughs> and you know we Disneyland got there, Then we doesn't... parked. And, I, and then we got something to eat. And uh, by the time I'm on my first ride, I hear Disneyland will be closing soon. And, like, yeah. I, I just, yeah. I, you know, cry me a river, you know, Orange County kid. 
but that was that was a that was a for some reason that just really like was like this or, bad or dream. Or the time when <laughs> your family wasn't going to make a Disneyland in time, and so they they consoled you with Sizzler. Sizzler, which is good, and I appreciate <laughs> that. Thank you. Um, but buffet but restaurant, by it, the way. I'm uh, not bringing this up to be <laughs> negative about the upbringing. It's to say that that is a stressor for me. Oh, and then of course, if anybody knows Disneyland, you go at the beginning and you take photographs on this in the stupid oh, Mickey Mickey Mouse. Yes. You got to pause for you the know. Pictures. So then all the, then the kids are crying. So you 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 know it's just get me on the ride man you know yeah um but there's that so i'm always wanting to go and uh fair to say you're not necessarily like always like right ready to go uh, at the beginning of our no yeah no i yeah it it takes me a while (laughs) i i i get delayed so then we get into this pattern it's all stress anyway we're gonna try to find a way to say maybe even get ready and then take a couple of days to not go anywhere, but be ready. I mean, I think and set so, our vacation starting here. And part of it, I think, too, is is that one of the things I like to do is I do definitely make our camper truck our home when we're going to be on the road for a while. And you also clean up the old house. Like you, yeah, always, that's you don't like true. to leave the house unless well, the house is perfect when not, you leave okay, it. Okay, perfect is a strong word, <laughs> but I will say that there's like almost nothing worse than coming back to the mess of you know the 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 place when you come back because you've already got to unpack and all these other things and if you start off with a disaster and add a disaster on top of a disaster yeah. it's just depressing it's nice as long as i don't cut three days into the vacation <laughs> uh, no right? i get I that need it. i get that now when we say vacation friends we're going to be working to finish up our publications we're it's just be getting doing a lot away more public from, yeah we haven't been uh on the podcast as fast as we'd like because this was the end of the year lots of stuff happens lots of emotions with students lots of crises but they're all good we've yeah, we you felt know. a little underwater for a while there, but now we're we're climbing, yeah, we're finals. climbing out. We're, we're good. But so when we're, when we're doing this, this is when we recharge. This is when we meet people. This mm-hmm. is when we get new experiences to share with you, dear listeners. We're so glad. Also, maybe we'll see you on the road. All one way you can help sponsor us, uh, help help us out a little bit, is go click through our ads on protectyournoggin.org. Whether you're interested in boondockerswelcome.com or Harvest Host, those are our. Uh, our two favorite things to promote on the website. You can click through that. That's a way for you to have very low cost um, kind of road life. Instead of going to campsites, you can stay and meet people at a vineyard or a, or a brewery or a, or a You do need farm. to have plumbing in your vehicle. You need vehicle. to have plumbing in a, in a vehicle. That's right. Um, but, uh, but I mentioned that. That's, that's, that's one thing. But that's when we go out and we're, we're kind of reconnecting. Because one thing that happens to, to you know, kind of peep personalities on TV and things, if they're like not connected to the world, yeah, they become oh, less interesting, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so, there's several folks that I just, some of yeah. the podcasts I just couldn't listen to anymore because it just felt like they were so out of uh, touch with real life and, and, and just in a rut, conversation right? and they're going from, you know, yeah, one, yeah. one interview to the next or a gig, you know, and that kind of thing. And it just feels like, yeah, they lost touch with yeah. you know any real real life. You need to mix it up. And one more thing. So as we're as we're kind of cruising along and, and, and doing this, um, we will be able also to do a little bit more reflection on you know what we're going to be looking at for the next yeah. season. Essentially, yeah. We got some ideas, but we'll announce that after we're done. So anyway, so thank you for being with us. This is the the twelfth. And uh, I do lesson I, I do want to just mention you mentioned the twelfth and final on um, as we're going through the conversations of the Tao Te Ching, but. We will be continuing our uh, the reflections and things like that until we complete all of the 81 chapters. Uh, and then you can go to our 
the website where the show notes are and everything else yeah. at protectyournoggin.org. Yes, at the protectyournoggin.org. And then and that's where your wonderful written reflections are. So for those of you There are written reflections there yes, you may not realize. Those yeah. of you that hadn't seen those, um, you know, Jeff does an excellent job of, you know, sometimes putting it in historical context or I shoot those off pretty quick, but I, I I'm bringing the stuff that we've been working through. Right. Behind so there's only so the much you can say in a short yeah. reflection. Right. And and so and the well, and you're a trying whole, to and you're trying to do what today's show is about. You're trying to apply it to right. people's lives. And, and in my own experience. Yeah. And you've got more of the Just some sort of, the of historical and theological and all these other implications. And philosophical and yes. religious. Yes. All that stuff. All that. <laughs> All that know. stuff that know-it-alls the, know. The, oh, that's right. That's going to take us. No, that's going to take us to chapter one. Why don't you go ahead and read it, baby? So we're we're looking at several chapters: so eighty-one, this, twenty-nine, twenty-seven, forty-nine, and fifty-four. And we're gonna we're gonna start with the last one. This is actually the final chapter in the Tao Te Ching as well. Oh, ch- chapter chapter 81. eighty-one. True words aren't pretty. Pretty words deceive. Good men aren't contentious. Contentious men aren't good. The wise aren't know-it-alls, and know-it-alls aren't wise. Sages aren't hoarders. They pour themselves out for others, yet abundance comes flooding back. The holy Tao helps without harming. Sages who serve the Tao accomplish all of this without a fight. Indeed. (laughs) So, I mean, I think the, the basic points pretty short chapter and we have a lot of chapters we're going through uh but just kind of briefly uh modeling the sage models behavior and that's very clearly stated throughout many chapters in the Tao Te Ching and we'll see some of that again repeated that idea throughout some of these other chapters but I think one of the things uh is even (laughs) the the know-it-alls aren't wise which we talked about the know-it-alls and the idea behind that is basically just knowledge without any any action or any change or anything is is pretty much I mean it's it's useless, right? May I give an example of this? Oh please. In the latest political crises, I re- remember feeling so demoralized about all the conversations about history and political thought with former students. Mm. And some of them done great reflection, but I'm saying generally speaking we had all these conversations that seemed just culturally with a lot of friends of ours and, and like just people just kind of ran to their sides and dropped all of the theoretical conversation about the constitution and the nature of good government and the nature of in religious circles what does jesus want from us for our neighbor all those things kind of went away once everybody entrenched you know hmm. and and a lot of the time I, I was really disappointed to see that all of that talk didn't matter mm. right about the constitution mm-hmm. if the constitution didn't serve me on the right or the left oh, in my actual I life see. then the college conversation didn't matter or if or if the teachings of suddenly... jesus weren't very helpful for my anger at immigrants here or something um i just dispensed with it yeah and it made me feel so uh empty inside that the that this thing we were t- all these things we were talking about just were abandoned when the concrete life really needed those those ideas. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, ultimately what you hope it's there for, right? Yeah. Uh, to help and, protect yourselves and, against some And of that's that. the big lesson from chapter one, right? Everyone, you kind of balk sometimes at Tao Te Ching chapter one, where that's the idea that you, you can't, um, well, that whatever you can put into words isn't the Tao. 
So therefore, yes. we say yeah. the the any any ultimate truth set forth in dogma is not the eternal truth teaching about the way. Right. And so sometimes people, especially in conservative religious circles, balk at that. They say, no, no, my theology is, is right and absolute, even though they don't realize that even Thomas Aquinas said, we can never quite get to capture infinite reality of God with our words. He understood this. Mm-hmm. Uh, other, even more mystical Christian writers in the Western tradition and Eastern tradition uh, are, are often described as uh, negative theologians or the technical term is apophatic theologians. You can only say what God is not because you can never capture what God is. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's in our this, limited human understanding, especially. It will always be. We like, can the only word. see yeah. it. I mean, we have, we have, you know, there's a there's a box around us yeah. that we can't necessarily, you know. Well, exactly right. And your vision's limited. And then being able to translate what you even saw. So even if you had a direct encounter, Mm -hmm. this is what you see in all the prophetic literature, right? Like I I saw this this beast with 10 horns and what is that? Right. Paul says, you know, I go up into this level of heaven. I I, I can't really speak this. Maybe in some cases they say we're not allowed to speak it, but the weird figurative language in the book of Daniel, the apocalypse of John the Revelator, you know, they're weird because the experiences are weird. So even the experience is not the fullness. Right. The, ex- the direct experience is not 100% fullness. You'd blow up, right? <laughs> you can't contain <laughs> it. And then you go down to try to put it into words. Mm-hmm. And then you try to translate those words. And, and, you yeah. see that you're just removed. And that's right. okay. That's part of the game. But so the, the Tao set forth as dogma is not the eternal Tao. So the I- ideological teaching of the, of the Tao is not necessarily the answer to the question. Right. Again, the question is how do we heal the world? Right. If we come to awaken to this awareness of the Tao in our own lives and we want to share it, of course you want to share it and you should share it. How do you share it? Right. If it's just a bunch of ideas, now you just get caught up in this debate with your friends about and then, and these the, other right. And ways I think of and, and I think the other important piece is well, a couple things. One is yes, the debates that you just mentioned. Yeah. When you get into these silly debates, sometimes it can. Unfortunately, I have seen so many times, and especially in religious circles, where where the debates that some Christians get involved in become so unattractive to anybody, any onlookers or any people, maybe even, you know, for lack of better word, younger in their faith or something, you know, that it's like, it gets scary. It's like, Oh wow. If these are Christians, like, ah, I mean, I don't, I don't want, this is, I don't want to be a part of this. (laughs) I don't know. I, you know, how in the world am I going to ever like learn enough to be a part of this debate? So then maybe I just need to listen to, what the experts say, right? Which I think yeah. is unfortunate because well, yeah. And, and, and are their lives so joyful? Are they yeah. so happy that I want to learn that no. fight? And then I figure out how to fight that fight. And then I'm still sad. And like one them. of the first, one of the main reasons too, that our kids stopped going to church was looking at how church people were treating us. Yeah. And treating each other yes. and how unhappy they were. Right. So like it wasn't a game that could be won right. for them. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And then the other thing I'll say is, is that since it's not about a whole bunch of head knowledge, that it, it truly is accessible to all people. And I think that's important yeah. as well. It's not some special revelation. I'm going to go that, up to a mountain <laughs> and I'm going to learn the sacred only, teachings. Only the wisest of all wise will ever, you know, figure out. I, it, it doesn't have to be that way. 
And so, in fact, sometimes the more that you're reading and searching and thinking that you're gaining more by doing all of this, this, you know, Mm. big quest or whatever, uh, you know, be the know-it-all, the less you actually do know. This is kind of illustrated by a way of thinking about uh, Taoist meditation. Again, if you're new to the show, we're interested in philosophical Taoism, not religious Taoism. But philosophical Taoism does influence aspects of... um, all sorts of Taoist practices later, even even such things as uh, inner and outer alchemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, there are principles about yin and yang that are in the Tao Te Ching that become part of the way herbal medicine would work. Mm-hmm. But it's not identical. These are different things. So something else I'd like to add uh, about the, the the know-it-all part and the, the knowing piece is I think that sometimes when the the more that we start to know, then the more we think that we understand and it it is true that you do, you know, you can take certain shortcuts, but when we label things too quickly and don't keep that open mind is when I think that that's the other piece where we get hung up on too much thinking, oh, I got this. I understand what this is all about. And maybe it wasn't if you just kept your mind open without jumping to the conclusions of that, you know, that your book learning might have, you know, taught you or, or sh- right. showed you, then sometimes we miss out on what actually is the truth or the reality of a certain situation. So anyway, but but since it doesn't influence it, I, I find the nature of Taoist uh, meditation kind of fits what you're saying about keeping it simple for just anybody. Right. And that is, we often think, oh, these Eastern, you know, these Eastern traditions, you're going out into the mountains and somebody has this esoteric wisdom, these secret mm-hmm. books, you know, and, and if you do this mudra, the hand gesture, mm-hmm. or if you, if you say this mantra, right. you know, and these, these can be fun, like mudras are fun, why not? But like, but like there are people that want to give you this secret formula for right. how you should have your posture it's and like a recipe but and if you do this this is magical mm-hmm. not 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 mm-hmm. like just natural and the thing that's interesting about Taoist meditation is you like your idea is to go and kind of enjoy yourself so in other words like anybody can catch it which is go be aware go into the mountains feel the breeze on your face mm-hmm. sit in a comfortable position and be calm and breathe. Yeah. That's it. That's the it, whole, that's like really it. And then look around and say, look how beautiful this is and, and, and center your thoughts. It is amazing too. When like, especially when we've been on our property and I've done that, right. how but loud, that's all it is. how Just loud sit. the silence becomes, you yeah. know, cause the rest of the world, all of a sudden, you know, at first it's kind of like, Oh, it's nice to be out in nature. It feels so silent. And then I'm, you know, and then I'm listening a little bit more and I'm like, Oh no, no, there's a lot of noise. If I'm going to try to re- record anything on the property or whatever there is this whole you know behind me you can hear the river or the birds or the planes flying over and there's a lot more out there um but but it's your own heartbeat well it's fun to see it all kind of come alive because it was stuff that i couldn't see or pay attention to before so to your point if you want to teach if you want to teach the Tao, just have somebody sit down and just sit and be (laughs) <laughs> that's all you got to do. Right. It's, it, you know, and there are things that you will realize from that experience. Like for instance, in China, the lack of birds, you know, yeah. sometimes when all of a sudden you're expecting like, Oh, where's all the, the nature going to come alive. We right? did see, you know, your, your corvids like, uh, like kind of magpie yeah, type right. crow type things. But we, all, all those birds we thought we would see that were these rare species to us or like, you know, things mm-hmm. we, we had not seen. 
that we would have expected in China because we see them in all these books and we realize, oh man, industrialization has kind of clobbered some of these parts of the economy. Mm -hmm. And so you get that. Yeah, so you learn something from sitting. You learn something about yourself from sitting. You heal by calming down, by slowing down. Mm -hmm. So you sit. And interestingly, if you can't sit in a forest, if you can't sit at the shore of a, of a beautiful lake, sit in your, in your cell and imagine a beautiful lake or floating on a cloud. That's all you do. Like that's basically the game. Right. So that you can start to realize this embodiment and you just start to take, take into account what's actually going on around you. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and yeah. One, and one, the other piece too with this chapter really quick, the Holy Tao helps without harming, helps without harming when if the sage is, you know, going to go out and, and do something it's never with the intention of like coming in, taking control and, and kind of stomping on, you know, somebody else's way or something like that. It, it, you know, it's not about the, the harm part. It's not, you know, sometimes we can justify harming a few folks for, you know, like maybe because these other people need something or right. whatever, but the true way wouldn't require the harming. Yeah. And, and that's usually the way Western society has had to kind of deal with itself. You know, I was really disappointed to read some of Immanuel Kant's stuff, uh, the so-called ethicist Immanuel Kant, with my, you know, enlightenment class that just finished up. We came to realize that, that ultimately racism is an ideological justification of greed. People already wanted to have these plantations there was an economic reason to have slaves from Africa in, in America. And, and so basically the European powers realizes that this is not fitting their egalitarian views in general. So they just have to dehumanize yeah. Africans so that they can do it, right? Like they had to, the racism yeah. was invented. Now, not that people aren't bigoted in their own way or tribal, but the, the theoretical racism We need these comes things, into this. so these people have to right. be the one to supply that or provide that. Right. And so they're going to have to take a little bit of the blow in order for this to happen for the greater good of yeah. other society. And affluent Americans, if you ask them, kind of have to straight up say, yeah, I understand that for me to have these nice things, 13-year-olds do have to make, you know, pennies to make it. Yeah. You know, and so well, are we okay? We okay with this? That's one of the things that is absolutely killing me right now because you and I both know we've been looking at the dumpsters at the college yes. because the students they've packed up, but I don't think they've packed up as much as they've thrown away. Yeah. And so much of these, like, I love you know, our students. Of course. But God bless them. The, the I little mean, plastic ugh. containers. We're talking trash wealthy. Cans. You, they have they, they they just take their bedding and just throw it in the trash instead of like it's perfectly good stuff <laughs> packing it up and one year we got like ten perfectly good Target fans yeah uh, we, we yeah. always get there's always perfectly get, good egg crates uh, garbage cans if you want garbage cans so what mirrors. we do mirrors yeah, we go and we'll get them and we can then then we just take a load in the truck of stuff to Goodwill we used to have Goodwill. Type, uh, came until all the arm. good things disappeared when people were starting to <laughs> no, separate. It. No, what happened was I think the, oh, the neighbors too. were using our our drop sites for their own they, for their own drop off. Uh, so when the Salvation Army or whatever it was would come, it was just overloaded by all the neighbors' stuff, and it mm. was really originally there just for students to be able to drop off their dorm yeah. stuff. Anyway, but regardless. Um, what we what we're able to do is say like, oh, this is like a ninety dollars sweater that we could like donate or you know yeah, like one yeah. of these days we should just just have 
a big old yard sale on, <laughs> yeah, at no, the end and so do as, a, as yeah. a fundraiser for our yeah. church or something. Yeah. Anyway, um, a couple of things about this chapter before we move on. Uh-huh. One, true words aren't pretty. Pretty words deceive. I was thinking about this when I saw the recent AP story um, about end of life doulas. I was very, pr- mm. I'm very proud of my lady that she was ahead of the the curve here. She knew about this and and and, and jumped in on it. And now uh, now it's kind of made some national yeah. news about this idea of, of the rise of death doulas. Feel free if you're in the Southern California area or you'd mm-hmm. love to uh, be consulting with Stacy virtually from any part of the world. She uh, meets, you meet with your death doula friends. One of them's in Israel. Yeah. One of them's on the East Coast. I mean, you got. Yeah, actually everybody's on the East Coast. We're in like, yeah, yeah we're sprinkled <laughs> throughout, but some, some uh, in the middle of the East and some yeah. high in the East. And then. So the death doulas sometimes know how to do a little Zoom friends. So you never <laughs> yeah. know. But, um, but you like, you prefer, although probably not best for business, death doula. But what was the AP yeah. story? End of life doula, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's, euphemisms are usually just multiple syllables for the same stark reality. And part of the reason for me, uh, honestly, end of life doula, I find it too restrictive that death doula at any age, you know, as what was the famous quote that, uh, you don't have to die. Well, no, it's not a famous quote. It's kind of, it's kind of a spiritual tradition within the early church. Within us of, you know, like (laughs) we think, we think about it a lot. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's a famous friends in our family. We talk about who invented things. We just mean who invented it in our our five person group. Yeah. If you die before you die, you won't have to die when you die. Right. That's the, that's the formula. And so I think that death doula then it doesn't restrict it to end of life. And I think yeah. often uh, at the point when we kind of realize that we are in an end of life situation, we've missed so much opportunity. It's never too late, by the way. So that's still a perfect time to address all these issues so that you can die yes. uh, peacefully. But it doesn't. you don't have to wait that long. Yeah. <laughs> it can happen sooner. And sometimes we all have expiration dates. We just don't know when it's going to be. And so sometimes we think we have tons of time and, and it's just best to, you know, you do your insurance, you do your taxes, yeah. you pay your bills, you know, think yeah. about your end of life a little bit because your family members will thank you when yes. it comes to the end. And I can't tell you how often I see all of the fighting and bickering that siblings have or other loved ones just because they're trying to do what they think is best for their loved one that is dying or has died. And, and it just unnecessarily anyway, enough about that, yeah. but there's so well, much unnecessary heartache that I think, and, and, and division that happens that can just completely go away if your wishes are known explicitly. And so if, even if it's not through me, you know, get your advanced directives done. Yeah. I'm just telling yeah, you, you, just do you know, um, and you know, and, and address some of the stuff with your, with your kids, but why? or your people, and it's not always even just the the what you've written down. It's also that they understand the meaning behind it so that it can be larger than just the specific text. And that's why it's important to discuss with, you know, those that you're allowing to make these decisions for you. If you become, you know, incapacitated, then that way they know the spirit of what you're trying to accomplish as well for cases that aren't necessarily covered directly. Now, why this connects to chapter 81, true words aren't pretty and pretty words deceive. Half of people wasting their time when somebody in their family is coming to the end of their life tends to be wasted words. People are insinuating things. People are hinting at things. Mm -hmm. People are 
lying about things. Yeah. You're fine. We're going to fight this. No. And I remember I was I was fortunate to be present uh, with with one uh, conversation you were having with somebody who was dying. And I I thought I was like how does Stacy do this? Mm-hmm. You know. And one of the things I thought was was helpful and interesting was just being honest yeah. and straightforward took so much of a weight off of this person. Yeah. It's like, "Oh, thank you. Yeah. We're having a real conversation now." Right. And I could see how 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 powerful that is because the minute you can get done with the pretty deceptive words, then you can say, but I do love my family and I do want to take care of this and I can, I can confront this suffering and whatever. Right. When it's right there. And and friends, we've talked about this in, in a couple places here. What's the, the way to, to teach people to surf the Tao? Teach them to face their fears, to not avoid things. Most of our lives when we're unhealthy, we're finding ways to not diagnose ourselves, but instead just kind of numb ourselves put band-aids instead of actually getting at the root of the problem or distract ourselves we distract we numb we knock ourselves unconscious in one way or the other instead of just waking up and and being strong so i think this is a great start but it doesn't tell us the whole picture of how to heal the Tao. so let's go but i will say that it does here at the end it says accomplish all of this without a fight which i think that can Ties very nicely into the next chapter. All right, number yeah, 29. Because without a fight. So, chapter 29. Do you want to rule the world? Do you think you can fix everything according to your own sense of how things ought to be? I can see that you won't succeed. For the world is a sacred system and an interconnected mystery. You can't dominate it. Try to tinker with it, and you'll screw it up. Try to own it, and you'll lose it. Some lead, others follow. Some are intense, others are chill. Some are ripped, others are lean. Some build up, others tear down. The sage stays balanced, lays down materialism, lays down excessive consumption, and lays down egotism. So this is a very important chapter in this question about how to heal the world. It's poignant because we're not quite sure if it's telling us that we should do it, right? <laughs> well, and, what do you see here? Well, and the other part about, uh, so do you think you can fix everything according to your own sense, you know, of how things ought to be? I can mm. see that you won't succeed. And, you know, that's a very real thought that there are times when, I mean, you and I, I mean, you know how it is like when we, I mean, there's sometimes you're just like, it feels hopeless as to whether, you know, does anybody really care about other people? Does anybody, you know what I mean? Or is anybody, yeah. is anybody out there that, you know, like, I don't know. Sometimes you said even like part of like the true community and things like that. It just feels like it can feel really lonely and it can also feel hopeless, <laughs> you know, but then I realize, um, well, yeah, I mean, it depends on, you know, how you're trying to go about it. Right. And I think that the idea of, you know, when you, when you especially want to dominate other things, um, you know, and, and take over, (laughs) you know, there was a time when we were at a a conference that we were volunteering at and, um, the lunch line was just a complete disaster and we were helping to volunteer with that. And so I was like making a few suggestions and they're like, okay, fine, you know, run with it. And I'm like, it was a disaster. It really, even what I was trying to help with because they weren't fully on board anyway. And so it was like, but it it just would have been better if I just would have kind of just kept my mouth shut and, and then just been as 
as efficient and as effective as I could be in the role right. that I was given right. rather than like coming in and trying to say. Except for one thing. I remember this because one thing that you helped do was, I think, a way of understanding the Tao teaching here. And that is to uncap the flow. Mm. So if the line was such that everybody was on one side of the serving line yeah. and you could break it into two lines, right. then that instantly relieved some of the pressure, yeah. right? And it allowed it to go. And I think that's closer to what the answer here is in terms of how to heal the world. You don't heal the world by making them be woke like you. <laughs> right. You help the world by waking them up. Right. And letting them therefore flourish or flow in the case of the lunch line, you know, when we right. were volunteering. Right. Yeah. And so I, I know that some of this, like what comes to mind is also the idea of anarchy. <laughs> We've, you've talked a little bit about Christian anarchy. And at first when I heard the word anarchy, I was, you know, thinking, Oh, just like, that's a scary word. It's just like lawlessness and just, you know, chaos and, uh, no order essentially, or, you know, that kind of mm. thing. And, and, and that it could be rather disastrous and it could open up maybe, you know, for worse people to maybe come in and try to take control. Right. If, if there's not like an organized system that everybody agrees to or something, I don't know, right. but I'm just thinking like, well, this, no, that's right. This people could get be, worried about that. Yeah. yeah. This could be like, you know, just, it could be sound great on paper, but lived out means, you're going to be further maybe dominated or owned by something else worse. Cartels, pimps, gangsters. Well, I think of like when we overthrow any kind of like government or whatever yes. is controlling in the Middle East and then a different regime comes in that yes. is often. Or no know, regime yet. Right. When you right. have factions and that's the anarchy that we fear. So it's not a great word. It's been stolen. Yeah. Well, it's, it's many of <laughs> many our favorite things. words. Yes, right? yes, yes. We've chosen in our translation at one point. Uh, we were thinking about using anarchy mm. as a term sometimes mm -hmm. for what we ended up calling non-domination. Yeah. So anarchy is a kind of egalitarianism. Uh, what this guy Bruno Latour describes as uh, flat ontology, which basically is a rejection of this emphasis that we have in civilization on Hierarchy. Right. I think the reason that people are so concerned in cultures, it's not just Christianity and Islam, but cultures around the world are really um, uncomfortable often with uh, non-heterosexual uh, existence. Right. <laughs> because I think it, it threatens... In many ways, I mean, the reason that sociologically it seems to be so challenging is it threatens hierarchy, right? It threatens hierarchy when you don't have clear divisions between men and women mm -hmm. and men being over women specifically mm -hmm. and what you're supposed to do, right? Like right. what the society's supposed to do. Right. If you have soldiers that all have certain assignments and, you know, then they they do their job, yes. then that piece gets done. Don't right? be, don't be, uh cutting out a line yeah. <laughs> you know and so it's it's actually in the later Taoist teachers that the naming of men and women the labeling of people as men and women and the uh, and even the idea of, of marriage as this kind of legal institution they said was kind of the beginning of the end in that uh, in that you move away from this natural affection like people have always been uh, you know 
in love. Yeah. <laughs> this has happened. Mm-hmm. The idea that there's a legal structure with contracts and rules now to, to enforce it for at least the Taoists later and sometimes these folks called the neo-Taoists, they start to see this as potentially problematic because it institutes this, uh, this emphasis on hierarchy, which you see very heavily in American Reformed Christianity, where there's this idea that you've got these orders of, of, of authority mm-hmm. from God down to the government to dad and so forth. And so if you're messing with the home, if dad is not the king of the castle, if there's an egalitarian relationship between mom and dad at home, mm-hmm. that is a problem because it throws off the overarching story of hierarchy that dad fits into in the economic strata right. and the governmental you know, leadership, whatever it is. So anarchy is a denial of that. There's one quote that I threw out there uh, from somebody, you know, one of these later Taoists that said, you know, um, all of these terms, Marquis and Duke, and you could say president or, or, or senator or something, these are all just names mm. that, we, <laughs> that we invented. Right. They're not these, what we call ontological realities. They're not, right. there's no such thing as a king. Right, right. They're just people that we call king, and king means you get to do things. And we've given them that power. Right. Or they've taken that power. Right. Whatever. (laughs) They steal the power, right? And it's not natural. So this is what they're talking about. Now, I don't intend here to talk about anarchy in its entirety. I would love to talk to you after the show, baby, and discuss maybe we could make all of season four about anarchy. <laughs> I don't think that's great for business. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, really? Because, you know, it's, it's hard to, to get people on this. We'll talk a little bit about it, but in a certain sense uh, today, maybe a lot more later, maybe just at least one show on it. But uh, partly because I'm going to be teaching a class on mm-hmm. various forms. There's anti-religious anarchy, certainly. Some say that you can't have religion and anarchy because religion postulating the idea that the king is in, is is empowered because of the god or right, gods right. is part of the problem that myth is what makes the civilization problem problematic especially in the ancient near east where these god kings ruled right so that's rejected that's kind of what i argue abraham's rejecting mm, mm-hmm. in the hebrew bible when he leaves ur of the chaldees but um, again, for another day, Christian anarchy. Well, and we you may talk about this. With, you've been t- talking with Corey Farr a little yes. bit about some, so maybe something with him. Yeah, yeah, to that certainly thing. Corey Farr on on Christian Taoism and uh, I'm sorry, Christian anarchy and uh, and the Taoist forms and and just having that conversation, we should do that. But it is for our purposes on on this particular episode, it is kind of the answer. The answer to how to heal the world is anarchy. And how so? Get people to detach from their addiction to domination. Somebody being better than somebody else. Yeah. Slavery, statism, authoritarianism, domination, conquest. Mm-hmm. Screwing people over so that you and, and your team can win. All of that we need to let go of. Now, I don't know if we can right now. We're so addicted to it. Well, and the other thing... That, <laughs> but that's the game. And the other thing that I've seen for for real a lot of times is, you know, you, sometimes you walk into a cer- you know, certain situations and it seems like there really isn't a leader and yet the group is hungry for somebody to step forward and lead. Leading is fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I know... Leading's yeah, a thing. But what I'm saying is, is that it's there's a lot more responsibility that you own if 
you aren't just following orders. If you're making decisions for yourself, yes, so much if, easier. You know, if there's if there's there's a lot, you know, it becomes more complicated, and you really have to think, and then you take the responsibility of your actions when it is coming from your own direction rather than from another source. Another way that maybe you could describe anarchy that makes people less uncomfortable or maybe more uncomfortable is libertarian socialism. That throws everybody for a loop, but that's a good term for it mm. because some of our more conservative friends describe, them, describe themselves actually as, as libertarians, which mm -hmm. isn't quite the same as conservatism. Uh, and then some of our left-leaning friends would describe themselves as socialists, but, but the, the anarchist worries that the socialist is relying too heavily on the state to make it happen. Ah, uh, and See, then more so inefficiency. Why do people not like socialism? Well, because they think Fidel Castro and mm. Mao Zedong and Stalin, that we're trying to make people equal with guns and centralized states and technology and, and usually all those things. it's... Most people have nothing, and then a few top dogs have it all. Specifically party members, right? The, yeah. So the Communist Party people become the new overlords. Right. And so anarchists in the West were those who said, you're right, Marx, to criticize these structures of society, but your answer is statist, and therefore it just replaces the old boss with a new boss. Yeah. What we want is, and this is the key, organic relations. What's an organism? An organism is you and me. Dear listener, you're an organism. You have organs. Yeah. And they're all essential. And this is where Christianity does kind of come in, which is Paul says, remember, like there's this body. Yeah. And, and does the hand say to the foot, we don't need you? Right. No, you need your hands, your feet, your eyes. The whole thing works together. If you can understand the deep truth that the apostle Paul was speaking about, then you can understand this type of spiritual anarchy and that is this this idea that that we relate to each other and then we thrive together mm -hmm. no one's lording it over and in fact the disciples came to jesus and said jesus how's this going to work who's going to be ruling this thing <laughs> who's going to be in charge things that church people talk about all the time right archbishops and senior pastors and all that well there's this idea that Jesus says, don't lord it over people like the world does. That's that's Babylon. That's the beast. Don't lord it over. Yeah. There's not. It's not a question of who rules. Nobody rules. <laughs> yeah. You just be. That's why you tell the kids, you're the body of Christ. Right. You're the 100%. presence of the kingdom. You're, so you're the embodiment of it. Right. So this is what we have to help people do, to live according to their true nature, their real beautiful nature, not this fallen corrupted thing that they've become addicted to and uh, it is in self-serving but also self-destructive. No, this is life for you and life for everybody. You're helping people become a healthy heart, healthy lungs, whatever, you know. Right. As in I, their I was talking to my sisters not that long ago, and I was, I was telling them kind of like, well, you're like, make this like diamond, this beautiful diamond. And then there's times when, you know, we want to take this diamond shape and put it into you know, either a circle or a square or something that just doesn't fit. And so we might, you know, shave off these parts of yourself that don't quite work within the mold, you know, so that you can, you know, sort of make a way to sort of put your diamond self into this, you know, like I said, either whether it's a square or a circle. And I think that the, the sad part about it is, is that the beauty of some of those things that are being shaved off because they are where somebody would have 
been, you know, able to thrive at, right. but it, because it wasn't their, you know, accepted role within society, we don't get to see that person ever thrive in that way. Yeah. So in this organism, when somebody's got a calling and they're good at something, you help them connect with that. Yeah. You don't say, oh no, that you don't get to do that thing. Right, you know, you're right. trying to help people get connected, right? Now, um, what this what this looks like in later Taoism and is is not always great. In some ways, there was a period of time when some emperors, specifically what we call usurpers, they'd say, Hey, you know, I I don't have a traditional right to be the ruler. And that traditional mm-hmm. right would have come through Confucianism. And uh, and yet uh, oh, I'm the natural leader. Mm. That is kind of a, a Taoist idea, right? That that it doesn't matter who's the who's got the title. There are natural people that are leading, and people want to. Well, that's follow, what the chapter right? says. Some lead, Some others lead, follow. Right? So yeah. you have that, uh, but they're not dominators. They're just you know. Good, right. Thank you for helping us and, and lead us through this. You're guiding us through this. Um, but uh, but but even there, um, these emperors wanted to say, well, I'm going to govern according to the Tao. Mm. I'm going to follow Lao Tzu and say, I'm going to be a hands-off, natural kind of leader. And there are some Taoist anarchists that say, no, that was a bad move. Because what they would do was these these sages, these Taoist sages, would then end up working for the emperor. Mm. They would become officials. And then others saying, no, you have to quit. It was kind of like at the last couple of years of the Trump administration where people were saying, you know, you should quit. And other people saying, no, you should stay in and, and right. keep things from getting out of hand. Right. That's the question. And the true, I mean, what people think are the true anarchists would say, no, it's, you know, you need to oppose this system. You, you, you can't try to fix the system from within or, or worse. You can't just say none of it matters. And that's, that's where this really becomes interesting. If you're interested in reading this at the, at the deepest level, there's a guy named John Rapp, John Rapp, R-A-P-P, and the book that I'm uh, going to talk a, just a little bit about here, it's called Taoism and Anarchism, Critiques of State Autonomy in Ancient and Modern China. He starts out with the definition of anarchism being basically the idea that the state always is going to look out for its own interests. It's just naturally will always do that. It will not therefore look out for your interests. And so, therefore, it will not look out for people's interests. It's always going to right. just care for its own self. What the state needs to survive. Therefore, it's always a beast as a state. This doesn't mean you don't have security guards or, you know, just healthy boundaries or whatever. But it means that you don't have this reliance on this entity, mm-hmm. the government, that needs to consume through taxes and war and whatever for its own existence. Right. And uh, in any case, what what he goes through is the, the history of it, which we don't have time to, to share here, but basically the short version is you've got two kind of trends within later Taoism. You've got those who emphasize individual peace. Go into the mountains, mm. be a hermit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's a temptation for us. We're getting in the chuck camper. Right. We just, we're just going to step aside for a little bit here. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we're going to get our own space. Mm-hmm. But then... Uh, there are those who emphasize the peaceful village, right? The idea that you have this this community that is harmonious with each other in nature, they're cooperating, and, and that's typically the more, um, I think, authentic expression of the original teaching of, of the Tao Te Ching. 
this idea that it's not just about you by yourself, right? But it's about this peaceful community. And it reminds me of chapter eighty, and you can reference that if you want, yeah. folks. But chapter eighty talks about sort of this idyllic sort of community where you've got, you know, maybe the guns in the storehouse, but you don't need them. You the dogs are barking, the, the horse are nearby, but it's like, there's yeah. all the, but there's no fighting and you know, it's just the community all being together. You got technology, you got robots to pick your crops, but maybe, you know, you have local gardens and uh, you, you harvest them with joy by yourself. You know, that's kind of, the I was idea. thinking a little bit of Lord of the Rings that came to mind in that with the, the Hobbit, you know, like where the Hobbits lived before everything got all, you know, all terrible, but it reminds me of what yeah, that picture it, it, it's is. You definitely know, first, like, it's like, definitely the Shire, right? Right. Now Shire. and um, and well, what's what's the whole thing? The Shire is trying to avoid being dominated by these big armies, yeah, yeah, right? Like right, they're just right. the simple these people, huge powers. And and but back to the the Taoists, the the emphases are either those who emphasize the Tao and the power that flows from it, duh, and those who emphasize Wu, the nothingness in Wu Wei. And so can you? Define duh. Yeah. Well, the duh is that that's the that's virtue. That's the virtue and and the potency that comes from the Tao. Right. And how when we say surfing the Tao, what we're trying to talk about is that end of the spectrum of Taoist teachings, which is to say, no, let's emphasize the way in which when we understand nature, we can channel nature, we can let nature be natural and we can ride it. We can surf what's already there so we can use the sun to grow our crops and we don't have to do any, like we're letting the plants just and grow. That's part, that's part of Wu Wei. It is, except if you emphasize the Wu in Wu Wei, which is non, you know, like acting by non-acting, mm -hmm. right? Or it's non-action. The Wu is the non, the negation. So it's the nothingness. It's the nihilistic side of anarchism, which means there's no meaning. There's no real purpose. Basically, the nihilist side says it doesn't matter whether this party's in power or that party's in power. It, in a certain sense, doesn't really have much to do to fix injustice mm. because nothing can be done. It's all natural. Mm. So domination's natural even though you shouldn't do it. You know what I'm saying? So you just kind of back out from all of it and you it's kind of a cop-out. Right. There are certain kinds of pacifism that are kind of cop-outs, right? Yes, so you, yes. you want to be active. So those who want to emphasize surfing the Tao and, and acting in a way that's, that's going to help bring healing mm -hmm. to the world, they emphasize um, Ziran. I, I want to think almost think about the Ziran concept as, as Tao surfing. Ziran is the idea of, of um, the non-action creating spontaneity. Mm. So it's spontaneity. So the idea is you don't, it's not through laws that make people good. Laws actually make people bad. Right, because you're trying to figure out a way to avoid the law or get around the law. <laughs> right, right, right. You right. just get really crafty as, you know, often some of the exactly. chapters will talk about. Instead of basic human decency, right? right. So this, this And, yeah, and if you're not breaking a law, technically right. it's okay based on that system. Right, and so Zeron is Zeron is, is opposed to the more nihilistic side that says there's nothing to do about the injustice. Can't stop it, so just back off that's hopeless and that is kind of hopeless and that is one of the ways they've gone and it's if you take that side the nihilistic side that we that we part company certainly we've already talked with Corey Farr as a Christian who reads the Tao Te Ching mm -hmm. he parts company as a follower of Jesus with that laissez-faire version mm -hmm. interestingly though there's also a way in which this connects to something that's closer to home in our Lutheran context and that is in Lutheranism, there is a debate, friends, if you don't know, about this thing called the third use of the law. 
<laughs> now, the third use of the law is um, going to presuppose what the first two uses are. So let me give you the short version. The first use of the law is just a civil, we call the civil use. The law is there to keep us from killing each other. It's just your basic principles of daily life. The second use of the law is it shows you that you are helpless. It's kind of like, do these things, be good, and you say, ah, but I can't follow it. Right. You know, or I think as, as Confucius said, this is the Tao. I don't think anyone's been able to do it. <laughs> you know, right. so now what? If this is the way and I can't follow the way, what do I do? Um, the third use of the law is once you've been awakened to this new way, the way of Jesus, mm -hmm. in the case of Christianity, when you've been awakened to this, when you've turned towards the way of Christ, if you turn towards Christ, then now you are absolutely loved and forgiven. Now you are freed from fear of punishment and hope of reward. You're not worrying about heaven and hell. You're not worried about the afterlife. Now you can be salt and light in the world. That's the Christian story. Well, the third use of the law is how can the law help us to live rightly towards nature, towards ourselves, towards other people, towards God? Mm -hmm. How can we be in right relationship? Now that we are saved mm -hmm. from this other system, now that we're forgiven, we, are, we aren't doing it for anything other than a spontaneous desire to do right, but we need this law to tell us what to do. Gotcha. The debate in Lutheranism is, is it necessary to go there in, say, a sermon? Right? So if I tell you about this new awakening, do I need to say, now go be good boys and girls? <laughs> and there are some who would say, no, don't do that. Don't, don't put more burdens on people with legalistic um, nagging. Right. And there's part of me that really likes that. I think that's, I think that's, a, that's a good impulse. That's a good intuition in some cases. Because just going to a sermon that's just telling us that we should be good people isn't really usually that helpful. Right. What's helpful is awakening ourselves to a different way of seeing the world. Right. So that, that spontaneously yes. you want to act a certain way. It comes out of you because that is who you are. So in the Lutheran world... I side with my friends who are uneasy about the third use of the law because in many ways I, I do agree with the side of Martin Luther who was drawing from the mystical tradition of what's called the Theologia Germanica, which basically said, if you're following the law when you're good, you're a mercenary. You're a hired hand. Mm -hmm. You're good because you know that everybody else is your brother and sister. Right. You have the eyes of Christ, and so you don't need laws. And, and Luther said something like this. He says, you know, where there's love, there's no need for law. Right. So law is what you get when we're, we're out of whack. Right. And this is precisely what the Tao Te Ching says. Yes. You don't get rules about what you should do for your mom and dad until you have broken down the real family <laughs> relation. Right. You don't have people talking about symbolic patriotism right. until there's disunion in the country. So the laws always come when the country's falling apart. Like more laws mean more bedlam. It's, right. And you and, have to keep creating more laws. <laughs> yeah. And it's not so much that laws create the wickedness, but the Taoist insight with, with respect to anarchy is that the domination requires it. So once you start to have people that are called kings, they're called kings because they own everything and they run everything. And then you've got a bunch of poor people. And laws are there to keep them in line. Mm-hmm. Laws are really for the poor people, for the most part, right? right? I mean, in practical life. Right. Go, go, go watch some public, uh, public uh, defenders go try to, you know, take care of uh, poor people that are incarcerated, right? It's not very successful. Right. And then you see other people, surprisingly, getting out of 
All sticky kinds of stuff, yeah, business. Yeah, yeah. So, so anarchy is this idea that that when you have people dominating other people, that's when these legalisms come out. And for the ancient Chinese context, that was the context of this. What they were against was Confucianism, to the extent that Confucianism was saying the way we're going to have a good society is by being traditional, by honoring all of these traditional roles of family and government, and it's all very dignified, it's all very ceremonial. So you, in Confucianism, you, you concern yourselves with the ceremony. Mm-hmm. And the Taoists are saying, no, that's not, that's, that's empty, that's a husk of righteousness. And likewise, there was another group, the legalists, that were very harsh. They were like dictatorial. And they said, the way we're going to have a good society is we're going to have a lot, of, a lot of rules and a lot of harsh punishments. And the Tao says, that's not going to work. So what, what does this say for healing the world? If you want to heal the world in general, we need to think in terms of ways of healing that are not coercive. Whether it's whether people should wear masks or not, whether it's whether you should share with with the poor or not when it's primarily coercive that's usually not helpful right uh, and the other the other piece is uh, too many laws it, it takes people off the prize so legalism in general legislating morality is generally not helpful this is what Solzhenitsyn said to famously to the uh, Harvard grads one year he said you Americans think you're all free but you just love to try to get virtue solved mm. through legislation yeah and that's not helpful right. you know or it, well, it doesn't and then, work and, then, and so this is reminding me of you know alfie Cohn with very with much your children and things and education that. yeah and i think that um if if the values aren't internalized uh then you know whatever values you know that you think um like are that are important to pass on to your children i mean they need to to be able to even just understand like what what is this value and why is it important and if they can own that themselves then they will just act with that coming out of them flowing out of them and usually if i mean a lot of times it really just takes this is gonna sound silly and i know some people they're going to get mad, but a very super loving family that allows children to express who they are and have the creativity to, to do and become the people that they are meant to be. Right. Then they, there is that, um, that in internalizing of seeing the, the goodness, truth and beauty in all things and people around them. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's this whole way of looking at the world rather than, you know, otherwise, I mean, I see sometimes these parents that are totally domineering, controlling and, and, and those kids are just trying to figure out how do they skirt around the rules? How do I, well, you didn't say I didn't have to, you know, I couldn't drive the car, you know, but you knew it was implied, but you didn't, you know what I mean? You can get around all sorts of different things or you didn't say, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, just stop at the friend's house or whatever, but it's like they, they'll just look to bend all the rules and things like that. And then, and, and when they get outside of your home, (laughs) like, I don't know that they probably also won't respect any, even if you meant well, uh, there's sometimes, you know, depending on what it is, like there could be a lack of respect for even like what that teaching might've been, you know, just because yeah. they thought it would well, be. It's not even respect or not respect. They don't know how to apply it because it's not in them. Yeah. And when they come to my classes, 
when they come to my classes, that's when it becomes most difficult because they're halting. They're, they're not flowing. Mm. They're worried about doing something wrong. They're mm. worrying about making a mistake. It's hard for them to learn languages. They don't want to make a mistake yes, in the language and therefore they don't practice the language. They don't, yeah. And I use that in terms of a foreign language or an ancient language, but also the language of philosophy or the language of historiography. They're scared and that makes them slower to pick it up. Yeah. You know, they're not free, right? Yeah. Um, I want to go to that though because that actually comes up in the uh, uh, next couple chapters we're going to look at. But I just want to say on the other side of the third use of the law, I disagree, however, with some of my friends who are sometimes called antinomians, by the way. Mm-hmm. When like, I'm more of an antinomian than my friends who get called antinomians because what they are typically saying is all you really need to talk about is just forgiveness in Jesus. Jesus forgives your sins, so don't really worry about being anything different. And I don't, and I part ways with them there, right? Mm-hmm. So I agree that you shouldn't use church as just a way of nagging people. That's not very it's not helpful. In- inspiring. Or legalistic religion isn't very inspiring. But justice-free religion is a problem in our culture as well. Evangelical Americans that say, well, I'm not really going to worry about those political issues like the immigrant uh, crisis or poverty or people getting bombed. I don't worry about those. That's political. Mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. So Mm -hmm. Christian means to me, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get forgiven, and I don't have, to, and I'm just gonna like live out my spontaneous Christian life in my own way, which means I'm not gonna think about it. All the other harsh realities, you know. much at all, right. right? Like church is just something I do on Sunday, and I don't go to hell for that, so I don't worry. Well, I think you might have missed what the wake up call was, right? <laughs> like that's it. It is missing the point. It's missing the point, right? No, the the point is in this new reality now. How can we be salt and light in the world? Right, that flows naturally from you. It's not a new rule or a law that you feel like you have to go do or obey. If you don't understand why that would work, it's probably because you haven't experienced the power or the, of the transformation. Yeah, right. And I'm not saying that to be. It's like that. Well, and like you mentioned, judgmental. It's just, repentance. Yeah. Repentance is like sort of like a flipping the switch. Like a thing where all of a sudden what you, you see something in a totally different way. When you understand what Christians call the gospel in the deepest sense, right. when you awaken, when you repent, when you come to your senses, it changes your being. You don't, you know it. And if it happens to you, you'll say, oh, that's what they were talking about. Right. Like in the sense that, um, oh, I see this ugliness is ugly to me now. Therefore, I am not using willpower to stop being bad. This is now unattractive to me. It's a a mindset change that happens. In any case, you get there through modeling it. You get there through embodying it. You get there through letting it grow naturally instead of imposing it. But what it really is, is this idea that mysticism leads to ethics. Mysticism, recognizing your union with the divine, the holy, Mm -hmm. recognizing your union with the physical world. You're connected. That's what mysticism really is for all religious traditions, for all even atheistic kind of traditions. There's such a thing as like an atheistic mystic, a Theravada Buddhist, or even like a scientist, you know. But what this leads to is is often going to be very Christian uh, sounding in terms of, of healing and justice. Uh, it's why I think there was this, this idea first came uh, to my way of thinking through the Japanese Lutheran theologian Kazo Kitomori, Kitamori says that there's a kind of sane mysticism that leads to a transformation of, of, of relationships. And this 
is certainly true in the uh, in the the Lutheran tradition of Lutheran mysticism that the that the way that we are going to heal our relationships and heal our society is through the spontaneous engagement of the world through this new logic mm-hmm. of the good news right. of of a non transactional non essentially non hierarchical. This is Paul in Galatians. There's neither male nor female. That's what the Taoists say, and everyone freaks out. It sounds like very androgynous. Paul says it, and we say, well, he must not mean that because he says this other stuff about hierarchy, which is another time, another conversation. Um, but in any case, we side with this. We we side with this part of the tradition of interpretation of Lao Tzu uh, that says we want to emphasize the opening of the spring. In other words, the action that the healer of the world takes is uncorking the bottle, is uncapping the stopped fountain right there's a thirsty world and there's a well and there's a lock on that well (laughs) and there's some rich jerk that owns that well and you snap it and you pop it open you let the people drink that are that are that are dying of thirst right that is what it is now that then takes us to the question how do you snap that open because within anarchist traditions there are two basic ways of thinking do you actively and sometimes violently oppose authority so that you can free yourself from it, like blowing up the Death Star, which mm-hmm. is part of the anarchist tradition. They're a violent anarchist. Or are you a nonviolent anarchist? And for the most part, my interpretation of everything that I'm seeing is the criticism of Taoism from the anarchist world is that it's too pacifist. Mm-hmm. But the justification, and I agree with John Knapp on this, the justification for the Tao's version of, of, uh, of pacifist anarchism is that it's the only way that actually is consistent. That anytime I'm using violence, I'm still trying to use coercion. And it, it's not that it's not justified in some philosophical sense. It's just not effective. It's mm. not healing. Mm-hmm. So even if I think I'm going to do this, it almost always leads to anarchists siding with the Marxists and then all of a sudden getting killed by the Marxists. Right. Or watching the monster that they created in, in, in Castro's Cuba become worse than the thing they started with. The only way to be consistent is to always deny dictators on the left and dictators on the right the right to be what they think they are you just say i don't you're making them this up yeah your title is made up man right now i know also in other chapters uh, lao tzu has talked about um you know like basically with war uh, approach war like it's a funeral and right. also you know it's whether i'm going to concede a foot of my land or yeah. whatever before there you know, is a place yeah you know before you know, certainly in some chapters. But and I think the point is, is um, it's usually though you're not the initiator of the fight. Sometimes you have to maybe protect. Yes. Maybe even the injustice or things like that that's happening. And so you will go to war as a funeral if need be. Mm. Yeah. But it's not what you're setting out to do. It's not. It's it's when there's when all other options have been exhausted, I think. And it is that libertarian idea that it's non-coercive. I mean, the, the very basic American libertarian concept fits with this, which is war cannot be coercive. I can't try to use war to get you to do what I want. I can't try to create right. the ideological utopia that I want. Right. Because I think there's times know, when you have to say, you've got to dethrone this person. This person yes. is abusing their power. Yes. They're hurting people. We yes. have to put a stop to this. This is like uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's decision to, to side with the conspirators who were going to assassinate Hitler. He said, mm-hmm. when a madman's driving a car through a crowded space, you got to take the wheel from him. 
Right. You got to you got to get them out. Right. It's surgery. It's not though right. a violent revolution leading to my own dictatorship of the proletariat. Because <laughs> then now it's just a new problem all but, over. Again. But watch how sad this is. People are so afraid of caring for our neighbors in America right now. If you're from another country listening in, this is what's going on with us. Um, whenever somebody is saying, "Hey, I want to." Um, help the poor that's that that's a good thing but we're we're always afraid oh we don't want to become like north korea hmm. right by the way people go take a look at the at the denmark they're happy over there <laughs> but anyway but um but 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 the idea is that there's this there's this fear of becoming like that when when in fact this idea that that's going to give anarchy a bad name is so sad because anarchy is saying no to that too like that's right. precisely what anarchy doesn't want and it doesn't want any any uh, general, generalissimo running things. And as you, know? you said, the the sort of the logo logo or the label got uh, hijacked, and yep. sometimes that happens. Maybe therefore we got to come up with a new, new word, word yet yeah, non-domination or <laughs> right. something, you know. But anarchy is just like there's archons, right? There's these rulers, and anarchy means we deny these rulers their ontological legitimacy, their their legitimacy, uh, and. We can still be nice to him, yeah. But you can kind of like say, "Hey, your Jedi mind trick doesn't work on me, pal." You right. know. Now, if you're asked to pay taxes, you got to pay the taxes. <laughs> <laughs> right. They I might mean, put you in jail. Right, right. Right. You still have to function in society. Uh, There's a long tradition of this in Christianity, um, specifically the radical reformers of the 16th century, the Anab- Anabaptists. They were called. They looked at the Protestants and said, "You're no better than the Catholics because you're in bed with the City Council of Geneva, Calvinists, or you're in bed with uh, the the uh, uh, Frederick, Pr- uh, Prince Frederick, you know, the Elector, uh, old uh, Lutherans, the Lutherans and the Calvinists and the Anglicans. They were all called magisterial reformers because they wed their movement with the magistrate, with the ruler, and uh, the the Anabaptists said no." The Anabaptists were persecuted by everybody. Now, sometimes some of the Anabaptists were violent, like the Munster Rebellion, where they tried to take it, to take the city over. Mm. And that was a disaster. Didn't work. Then there's other groups that tried to kind of withdraw from the world, and they became the folks we know, like the Mennonites and the Hutterites and the Amish and all this. It doesn't work all that great either. But the idea is that they were denying, the Anabaptists denied the state its legitimacy because the state was its own religion, and you couldn't serve it. You can't serve money, power, and glory. Mm. <laughs> you can't serve any of them. Yeah. You gotta serve Jesus. Yeah. So, ma'am and Molech and whatever your glory God is, you know, you can give it a name. Uh, that's not the way. And to heal the world, this is the key, friends. And I know it's been tough. We had a conversation last time about, you know, what does it look like to, you know, not necessarily put up with these structures, these institutional structures. One of the ways to heal the world is help people wean themselves off their addiction to statism, to authoritarianism, to fame, to the mad, mad lust for wealth. That's how you heal. But you can't heal by just telling people that they're stupid for it. (laughs) So let's go on to the next chapter, see how it's done. (laughs) So chapter 27. Good travelers don't tear up the landscape. Good speakers let every word be authentic, kind, and true. Good money managers aren't mere bean counters. Good woodworkers can craft quality furniture without using nails or screws. Good movers can pack a truck without having to use rope to secure cargo and transit. Similarly, the sage is a savior of all people and discounts no one. 
She's not content with heaven so long as anyone remains in a living hell. This is what it means to find enlightenment. The hero is the villain's teacher, while the villain is the material for the hero's art. If you can't grasp the value of both the hero and the villain, you will remain bewildered no matter how smart you think you are. This is the delightful secret of life. All right. This is a good one. What do you see? Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, one of the things you talked about, uh, the oneness of all things and I, and, and allowing, um, you know, like I think that the beauty and things to sprout up. And so the first part are all these, these examples of, you know, I see it as those that are like in their finest moment of, they really know this one thing and they, they do it with this ease and precision that, you know, others couldn't quite, you know, perform that. So I think that the idea that, you know, you could be a good speaker, a good money manager, or there's various roles within society. But when you see somebody hone in their craft and do it well, it, it is beautiful. Right. I I think of it. I was just noticing the other day, I was watching, um, our kids little, um, cat puff and she's older, but she's just, she just looks tiny, but she's full grown and she's still really little. And when you see, um, like when a cat, like you can have all these things on the ground and the cat can just so, you know, delicately and nimbly like move through all these things and not knock over a single thing. You're saying cats are good for people with messy houses. No, because their house wasn't messy. Oh no, I'm just in general. I would just think no, but I'm, I'm you're in a crowded space like a like a van. I am thinking that the way <laughs> that the the art with which they can move yes. and not knock things over. Very Dow like. Very Dow like. That's what I, my point. And whereas our our beautiful, cute little puppy Bimbers, <laughs> Bindi, <Yeah. laughs> she like she can't help it, but she's just going to come in and in her love and excitement, she's just going to blah, blah, and trample yeah. whatever's around her. Right. Yes. And <laughs> I would, I, I see it as when you see somebody, you know, honing in their craft, it looks a lot more like the, the, the cat being all delicate and mm. nimble rather than coming in and sort of like, you know, like, I don't know, blasting the whole thing. Like, yes. I don't know. Sometimes, um, you know, it's a perfect you, illustration, <laughs> it's a perfect know, illustration. Yes. like demolishing everything around it just because I don't know, she doesn't know better, but that's also not really what she cares about. And she's, you know, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's, it's just the, the two different ways of, of, of being. And I think sometimes when, when we're doing something that doesn't come naturally to us or we don't do it well, it looks a lot more like the, the dog trampling version than the nimble yes. <laughs> cat. Yes, yes. So that's a little thing but, there. But even Bimber is when she when she's running on the property, getting the poison oak to put on my arm. <laughs> um, no, that's all right. Um, she's pretty good. Like when she's in yes. the, in nature, she can maneuver. Yes, in in her, her element. natural element. Yeah. yeah, when it's in like that's a living true. room or something, stuff set up might be a little different. Really, I think when you know when you are seeing the beauty of somebody actually being like just who they are meant to be, it's beautiful. It's when we compare it to, oh, well, you know, we want this version and this is the version of the person that's going to be more powerful or have more money or <laughs> whatever that then it puts in for a competition that didn't really even, you know, necessarily need to be there. I, and I think, I think that sometimes, you know, the labeling of, of, of something and judging it then creates, you know, the, the competition in a bad way. The good guys and the bad guys, in and we don't see the, the 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 oneness in all things, and that we all you know working together is how that picture becomes actually full 
and whole right. and, and, and beautiful. It is important to be careful here, though, because <sighs> this is where the, the uh, anarchist interpretation and the nihilist interpretation veer off. The nihilist interpretation is kind of like uh, forms of, of postmodernism in America and in the West that are surprisingly tolerant of, of like fascism. Mm. And there has been this uneasy connection between some postmodernist thinkers and kinds of fascism or neo-fascism. And why? It's because they've kind of agreed that maybe there is no ultimate right or wrong. There's just will to power. Mm. Right? So, oh, there's no, like, there's villains. There's good guys. Well, you call them good guys. I call them villains. I side with the anarchist interpretation, that is. Villains are villains. Villains are vicious. Villains do bad things. Villains do things they shouldn't do. Villains do painful things. Right. Villains do unhealthy things. Villains are sick. But the anarchist interpretation, and the a- interpretation that I side with, is the idea that they are sick, but they're a sick body part that's connected to me. So when these other people act in this way, I may need to kind of put a tourniquet on (laughs) or I may need to to in some cases amputate but I need to understand that the villain is connected to me right well and that's and yeah you're you're so right about that and that's a very important point because there is that there is sometimes a tendency to say well if evil didn't exist good can't exist." right so you know we're just learning something but maybe but what are our art our art if you're a we want to get on the good guy side the good guy's art is to help make the bad guys into good guys. Yeah. And the bad guy's ver- job is to play this game of waking up. Because <laughs> we've all been the bad guy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. the idea. So, so we don't despise these other people. We say, oh, how, how sad that you are so worried about taking all these things before you die. Yeah. Because it's not going to make you happy. And it's not, yeah. You're it's not like, going to find what you're looking for. Yeah. The villain isn't taking something from me that I want to have and then take it from them. And therefore, they're my enemy. No, like they are sick. Right. And so they need healing. Yes. And I think that's very important because some people read this. They Sometimes people read Rumi. Rumi says, hey, go meet me in a field. What's beyond good and evil? It's beyond good and evil because you're kind of transcending these things that Adam and Eve, when they ate the fruit, you know, and they knew good and evil. Yeah. Why would that be bad? Don't you want to know good and evil? Yeah, because now it's kind of legalistic. Now you're putting names to it instead of living organically with things. Are things being helpful? Are things flourishing? The other thing I I find really important is this middle stanza for us, which is kind of like the Bodhisattva vow. Now we translated it, you know, paraphrased, (laughs) but it's, um, we're, we're emphasizing this part of the, the kind of Bodhisattva vibe where you go back, you go back. You don't just, you don't just go into the mountains or into heaven or Nirvana, whatever you want to do to escape, you you internally find that healing and then you come back. And so you're referring to the fact that um, the sage is, is the savior of all people and discounts no one. She's not content with heaven so long yeah. as anyone remains in a living hell. This is why people get all upset about woke culture, right? I mean, it makes me really sad that everyone's like all proud of themselves for, for not being woke. Don't be proud of yourself for not being woke. Be sad if you're a wokester that is all talk. <laughs> but to really wake up is a good thing. And look what they do. They want to. They want to say woke is bad, anarchy's bad, Christianity's good. But they stole what Christianity is, 
and then they denigrated the true Christianity in the terms of woke, because Jesus wants you to be woke, and in terms of anarchy, because Jesus doesn't want you to dominate, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So they denigrated the true appellations or the titles, and they stole the true titles, depending. And we're left with this world where it sounds like a lot of people I really respect say, I don't want to be called Christian anymore. And yeah. I like, I understand. Yeah. You know? No, I, and they want yeah, to take, the, and I, somebody said, I want to take my Jesus with me. Like, yeah. okay, all right, this is actually not too far off, right? But people don't want that because they, they bought the, the copyright. They bought, they, they thought they bought the, the title, right? But the title is worthless, you know? It's like you got a, like a little piece of paper that says, I own the moon. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know how you got that, right. <laughs> you know? And one of the things I want to mention too, the discounts no one piece is, mm-hmm. is that you never know when somebody maybe could wake up. I mean, when somebody yes. could you know, all of a sudden have their, their sense about them. Now that is not an invitation to allow people to keep, um, you know, putting you in a bad or abusive situation, anything like that. But it is the idea that, that if somebody truly does have this, like, you know, this, that moment of repentance, that, that waking up and and seeing things in a different way, like you're not, you're never going to ever think that, oh, this person's just lost that, you know, forever that they are just, done for you know you just never know when somebody might come around we cannot be codependent on people we cannot try to fix them we cannot always wait around while they do damage to us before they get better but we can always interact with people with that expectation that they could be saved and in fact this is our advice to you if we may be so bold when you find yourself confronted with your greatest enemies, your greatest adversaries, the people that cause you so much pain, if instead of trying to fight them on their own terms, you turn it around and say, I love you. I cannot, I cannot be here as you give this poison to me, but I, uh, I am always your friend if you want to come around. That has done wonders in our lives. We may not see him for years. Right. We may never see him again. But the last thing we said is we love you, we know you disagree with us, and we cannot allow you to bring this kind of level of pain to us right now. But someday, if you want to come back, if you're, if you're in need, and yeah. really want to, want to like, you know, and, and listen, if you're listening to this, and you're one of a friend, we haven't talked to you in a while. <laughs> it's like, hey, we're just kind of like, we're kind of like nursing our wounds a little bit in life. But, uh, but if you're really, if you, if you need, if you need help, yeah. you, you could call Jeff and Stacy. We don't. Don't have a lot of money. <laughs> Not a lawyer, you know. What I'm saying, right. but like, if you, I mean, we we'll stand beside you. We can do that. Can't yeah. fix your problem. We can stand beside you, and we want to, you know. But the key is not only do we want to. The problem is there are a lot of people that need help. Yeah, and they are in a living hell. And, you know, and we, there's we some worry. people that know they're in a living hell, though. Yeah. And so, we're not not caring about everybody. We have to just be choosy because there's some people that like with just a little bit of uh, like water can survive. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say that a lot of times we get a little bit worried about, Oh, heaven or hell, you know, in the afterlife. Yeah. But I mean, really, I mean, if you look around right now, are you in a living hell? Let's get that one solved. Yes. Because this is your life right now, your right. experience right now. Afterlife, like that, that's next. <laughs> also, you finding healing in the immediate generally is correlated to eternity. <laughs> it's infinite yeah. and in, in more ways than one. So, yeah, that's good. And, uh, and I think that 
seeing this as a challenge is kind of fun for us, right? Like it's hard to keep it in mind, but we're saying instead of thinking about all these people that are on your case, the story you tell yourself when you wake up, there's all these people out to get you. Yep, they're of course they're out to get you, silly. <laughs> if you're doing the right thing, they're out to get you. So stop whining about it. This leads very nicely into chapter 54. So if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and read this one real fast. I think read it connects. On. Whatever is deeply planted will never get uprooted. Whatever's held with integrity can never be stolen. Those are the things your descendants will commemorate long after you're gone. Foster duh in yourself and it will be genuine. Foster duh in your family and it will thrive. Foster duh in your community and it will be enduring. Foster duh in the nation and it will flourish. Foster duh all over the world and it will be ubiquitous. Therefore, discern who you are by beholding yourself. Discern your family by beholding your family. Discern a community by beholding that community. Discern a nation by beholding that nation. Discern the world by beholding this world. How do I know this about the world? Like, like this. this. <laughs> That's our favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes people think like this refers to the stuff ahead or above it. Uh, but we, we like that idea is spontaneously. That's really all. Well, and almost, you know, we kind of like um, imagine almost like course. kind of like where you like stand firmly, like put your leg out and stand firmly in the ground and make a plant like, yes. like this. Part and, of and the Chinese character of, is putting your foot down like, here you go. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, and it's, you know, I, I just know that this is where I can stand on it. I know yeah. that this is, you know, this is true. I, I feel it in my being. He who feels kind of it thing. knows it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I will say, so the part that I saw leading into it was when we were talking about those that are in the living hell and stuff, you can discern uh, when somebody is in a living hell by looking at it talks about the first part, whatever's deeply planted will never get uprooted. Whatever's held with integrity can never be stolen. And then that's what your descendants will commemorate, you know, long after you're gone. So that could be good things, but also could be, you know, the bad things that what did you care about in this world? And that, you grab hold of it, it becomes part of your being. And so when you look at somebody's life and sort of see what that is, you can tell what their values are by how they live. Yep. And so I would say that if you, you know, if you're, if you're looking at, you know, again, when you see somebody in, you know, what you might think is a living hell, you can look at sort of, you know, what, what values do they have? What have they placed most importance of? And what would you say is like the most important thing to this person? And then recognize, you know, even in your interactions with them, that that is what is kind of like, what is providing, I guess, like the, the impetus or whatever of what they're going to hold on to and, and, and other actions will be like that. And you can, choose to be a business partner or work with somebody or even continue a friendship or things like that based on, you know, whether or not you think that those, you know, if those values, um, is, is something that you really can be around, you know, you might right. need to put up boundaries if it's not, if it's not going to be helpful for you, um, or healthy, <laughs> you know, um, but again, by discerning, by just seeing, by looking, 
you know, it, you, you can even see this passed down in like families and what sorts of, you know, what do you see with multiple siblings that they all seem to have in common, you know, and, and, and you can look at it. Most importantly, you start with yourself. And then when you start to know yourself and you can look inside and see who you are, what your values are, it is from that point that you have the clarity to be looking at other people, <laughs> you know, until you deal with yourself and your own family and your own community and your own nation, you know, then it's, I, I would say that um, you need to start there first in order to then be able to branch off and, and see what other things look like or even can discern them, right? You, I mean, you kind of, you need to understand your family from your own family first. Uh, but, and you need to understand your own family by really understanding your you, own family. It's not right. this like ideological thing. It's right. not this book that you read. Well, the father role, according to biblical manhood, is like, okay, like, okay, that's great. Put the book down for a second. Right. Who, who's here? What's going on here? Right. <laughs> you right. know what I'm saying? And that's like, the be present. Yeah. Just acknowledge right. the truth. Of- well, the father is supposed to work. Okay, but your, your wife has a job. You don't. Like, let's just flow, <laughs> right? right? And know this family. Now, maybe you want to switch that because maybe mom's unhappy and you need to get out there. Maybe you both need jobs. Maybe you both need no jobs and you want to be anarchists living out in a village with Jeff and Stacy in, in Oregon and you want to invite us to it because we don't have the, the, the commune yet. <laughs> uh, and of course, communes are always, uh, as we've seen, potentially problematic because somebody becomes the boss of the commune, right? Right. right. So you got to watch out for that. But this is good, Stacey. What, and I, uh, what and else I think you that's, see here? Well, that's one of those things, too, um, that we heard recently, and I believe you uh, put it out either in a tweet or maybe and or on uh, Dow Surfers. But the idea of sort of um, if, if you look at yourself in your own actions and you are who you were. Yeah. And it says again, you right now, what have you been up to for the last how many years you've lived? That's who you are right now. That's your life story. Right. But doesn't have to end that way. You don't have to be that. You right. can be something else in 10 minutes. Right. In 10 minutes, you could be something else. But if you say, I'm not, um, I'm not a violent person. Well, are you? Have you been violent? You've been then, hitting people? And then if you say, right. I'm not, but then you continue yeah. to. I don't care about money, but everything you do is, is, is about your job. I'm a family man, but you don't talk to your kids? No, then you're not. Right. That's the fact. And, and, but I do this all the time, right? Like, I am this, but lately I've been living this way. Right. You know, I've been numbing myself and just sitting on the couch and kind of staring at anxiety. So then you'd have to say, yeah, that that is who you are. And that's okay. Until. You discern it. Then yes. Then you can say, wait a minute. (laughs) Tomorrow I'll set my alarm at this time and I'll wake up and, you know, or I'm not going, you know, I'm not going to pick up this drink or I'm not going to, you know, just find a way to numb myself. I'm just a procrastinator. I'm just like, like, it's, it's a, it's a shift. Yeah. You know, and it's hard. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy to get the shift, but. You are what you've been. So where were you going with that with this with the text? You're saying that well, that's how you discern yourself. Yes, that's how you discern yourself. Yeah. And 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 it, again, it doesn't have to be the end of the story. And that's the other piece. I think sometimes we get so if we are looking at ourselves, we can get so distraught when we look at, okay, this is the reality of it. If I really face it, you mm-hmm. know, and it can get depressing sometimes. I had thought by, you know, by my mid forties that I would, uh, you know, be this and this right. and <laughs> have already achieved this and my kids would all be well adjusted. And then that just wasn't what life was. Right? Some of you posted on Twitter recently, I hate mother's day. Mm. And some of you are trembling about thinking about father's day. Some of the least happy holidays for some reason. Why do you think so? Why are they so unhappy? 
Well, because they're very worried about making sure that they, you know, well, a couple things, either pleasing the, the mothers or fathers in their lives, which seem probably impossible to please yeah, as one or they're frustrated in their own lives, how they're not appreciated yeah. or, um, or they've been traumatized by their parents. So they don't want to honor them. Right. Oh yeah. That's what I'm saying. Or yeah. they lost somebody. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, it's like really hard for mother's day and father's day to be great days, <laughs> you know? Right. And you're always like, you're always scrambling. That is what the Taoist said is the problem of Confucianism. Hmm. That mother's day makes people fight. The day after Mother's Day, Ashley Madison, the cheating website, says they get all their, their boost in women joining. They're not loved. They're out, right? Like they're going to find yeah. some other way. So that's the whole of society. If you're focusing on, well, you have to do these things for mom on Mother's Day, that sounds like a nice thing, but everybody's anxious yeah. and mom's disappointed. And notice, discern your family through the family is the idea. By beholding the family, you'd, you'd say... Right now, friend, if you're a parent and you really weren't there for your kids because you were a workaholic or an alcoholic or whatever, uh, there's a way to fix this. Yeah. And maybe they'll never forgive you or whatever, but there is a way to fix who you are is by saying, I've been a bad dad. I've been a distant mom or a neglectful mom, but I don't have to be. And there is incredible healing by calling somebody up and say, listen, you don't have to Take my call. I'm leaving a message. You know, right. you don't, I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not here to ask you for forgiveness. I'm just letting you know that I realize that I have not been there for you the way I should have been there. Right. And I want to be different if you ever are interested in having that happen. And the joy that you can have for the next three years of your life or 20 years of your life or 50 years of your life is going to be so great, partly because of the villain that became a hero. And I would also say that whatever it is that you saw that, you know, you needed to apologize for, you know, whether or not they're allowing you in and interacting with them in that way that you were hoping, you can still model that. You could still be that yeah. for other people. And, and it's possible that though, first of all, your children will see that and say, oh, they really are different because I see yeah. that they've, you know, they maybe be cool for a couple months, changed. you know, because <laughs> yeah, exactly. there's a lot That's of us that too. say, all right, well, let's, let's see. And it, and also, I mean, again, if you need to have your boundaries and people have not been healthy for you, then yeah, you don't have to allow them back into your life. No. Uh, and, and if you really do think that you've been a bad parent, you've done these things, if you make these changes, it'll be for your own best interest anyway. Yeah whether or not you can heal all of the relationships. Um, but if you, you won't know unless you try. But what we tend to do is well, we want to defend how we've yeah. been. And, and yeah, and there's all sorts of ways we got there, guys. Yeah. There's all sorts yeah, of ways. I that's mean, fine. we've been hurt ourselves. Yeah. We've been traumatized Have ourselves. Have compassion on yourself for yes. doing that. Like your parents weren't the greatest parents. You didn't know any better. You know, you were young. You made mistakes. There's so many things. But acknowledging that, and seeing, you know, what that is and then the harm that you have caused others around you and you let them know that, that is incredibly healing. And be patient. Yes. Don't need them to turn around really fast and wait. I mean, don't. If you need anything from them, yeah. unfortunately, it's not going to work. No. And if you and if you allow yourself even slightly to get baited into some kind of thing, you've got to let them punch out. You got to take it on the chin if you want that to work. Mm. Another thing, though, about the and and the, yeah. discern. I mean, here's, yeah. here's the other what's thing too. What's going on? You know, what's, what's coming? True? What are they saying? What is true? And 
own the part, you know, own what is true. You don't, if, if parts of it aren't true, you can listen, you can listen if you choose to maybe gently correct them, but maybe, you know, maybe you don't, maybe you just don't have to own that. I would say gently say like, I, 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 I'm going to think about that because I, I don't see that. Right. And I'll think about it. I'll, I'll try Because it's also yeah. possible you're just missing something. Right. But if it's not, you can say, I, I right now, I don't believe it. You just, it's truth. Yeah. Don't be using pretty words. Another thing though about Mother's Day and Father's Day. The reason I think Mother's Day and Father's Day is so problematic is because we judge the family by looking at the ideal family or the mm. theoretical family or the abstract family. Or yes, our imagination yeah. of what the perfect person or family or community or nation or world is. Yeah. And we see how far that chasm yeah. is. So that, then that we just gap. go, <laughs> Mother's Day is a time for me to remember what a sh- bad mom or bad, you know, Father's Day is a time for me to remember how my kids don't love me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, like you can do that, right? And it goes both ways. So mom's dad's mad at the kids, kids mad at the parents, people like it's just stress all around, people being mean to our, 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 our daughter-in-law who's doing the florist stuff because she's getting people's <laughs> flowers for Mother's Day. They're all stressing, right? right? They're all stressing. And that's the key. So what, what, what does that show you? Don't have the Confucian... Like customs be the thing that keeps you family together. That's a sign that your family's not together. Be present with your family and you'll be all right. Like that's the key. Yeah. Really know what's going on. Well, and there are times, yeah. I mean, our, our children, you know, they have to work on the holidays. That's exactly when, you know, they, mm-hmm. you know, they're not going to be able to spend in a lot of these holidays with us. Um, and so for us, we just were able to find other times where we hang out together outside of the holidays or maybe nearby the holidays right, right. or whatever. It's a reminder to check so in. It's great if you're able to, you know, set aside time to hang out with one another to turn it into a different, you know, a different law or a legalism yeah. is where any of the natural love that is flowing out of it, it just gets squelched and it, and it's non-existent, unfortunately. I will say one thing kind of following up related to kind of some of the critical things we've, we've focused on in the last three seasons of this podcast about the criticisms we have of pastors, of -hmm. religious leaders, people in power. Um, But I want to say there have also been some really powerful people that are not ideologues, not people that are primarily out there as public celebrities, but just just genuinely decent people. I always talk about Father Trifon, uh, Abbot Trifon up up at the the monastery there in Vashon Island. Maybe we'll get that far up. Um, You have to wear a head covering. Because the rules are, you know, and I think a long dress and all kinds of stuff. So make sure you bring a dress. (laughs) Um, No, but um, but what I really mean is, I sometimes will get really frustrated with denominations and pastors, quote unquote, and then I meet with people and I'll speak at a conference, a pastors' conference. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, I love these guys. Mm -hmm. These people Mm -hmm. are fun, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, These wonderful people. and they care about people and they help people die and they help people be born and they help people struggle through life and they get married and all this. Right. And why? Because they know their community by beholding that community. Yeah. The pastors that are terrors are those who want to dominate their little community as cultists. That's yeah. one thing. Or the ones that get in our way tend to be people that are kind of underemployed. <laughs> you know, like they mm-hmm. don't really have congregations or the congregations aren't really thriving or whatever. So they're like kind of lashing out at these big abstractions that are making it hard to do ministry because the American church is suffering. Mm. Is it? Well, 
Well, okay, what, what are we what, supposed to be doing here? <laughs> and, and I would say, you know, if Our you're num- discerning the church right now. Yeah, where's the church? What does it look like and what's it up to, you know? Yeah, because, if, yeah, the flip side is, like, wh- where's the true family? What's your true self? Where's the true family? Where's the true community? Where's the true nation? What is the world? Know the world. And you're in it. You're standing on it right now. So let's start there and go back to the beginning. Yourself. Yeah. You are somebody sitting, standing, laying down, bicycling, <laughs> wherever <laughs> you are, whatever you're doing, right? You're doing this. And where you are, you are somewhere and you are this beautiful little jewel of a spark of light that's floating through this world that sometimes is dark. Yes. <sighs> Blow on that ember, kid. <laughs> Come on. Let's get that going. And what is it that going to do? It only takes a spark. It only takes a spark to get a <laughs> spark to get a fire going. And that is how we heal the world. Let's re- let's review just a little bit so far. You're going to model it. You're going to unblock the flow of the of the spring of water. You're going to get yourself right and healed so that you can then heal your family and your family can be healing to the the the, the world around you. You recognize your embodiment. You focus on the concrete instead of the abstract. And you do this in a way that isn't worried about dominating others or being right or trying to fix others, but it's flowing with the flow. Surfing the Tao takes us to chapter 49 to close us out, Stacy. Chapter 49. The sage is not closed-minded, but considers what ordinary folks have on their minds. I am good to those who are good. I am good to those who are not good. This is the goodness of duh. I hope in those who are hopeful. I hope in those who are hopeless. This is the hope of duh. The sage is engaged with the world. She brings balance to the world by carefully uniting her heart with it. Ordinary folks, hearing her wisdom, turn their attention to her actions. So she sets a wise example for them as if they were her own children. I hope in those who are hopeless reminds me, by the way, of uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, who starts out as a um, segregationist. And then when he gets into the presidency, he says, no, we're going to we're going to fix some things here about, you know, racism. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know enough about his legacy to know how well that worked out or or the, the fine points. But that that's a change. There have been KKK members that have worked for the. Uh the healing yeah. and the opposite, mm. you know, St. Mm. <clears throat> Paul was a persecutor of the Christians and he became a Christian, you know? Yeah. So always we hold out hope for that little spark in even the people who seem well, to have squelched it. And I would even say, um, I would hope, I hope in those who are hopeless. I would also say there are times when I have spoken with, you know, one of our dear young people, I especially see it in a young woman who doesn't love herself and has kind of been taught that she's not that important and she probably shouldn't love herself because she's broken and, and sinful and, and the, just the downcastness and the, the sort of the, the, the whole, mm, the, I don't know though, the hopelessness in, 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 in that sweet young girl's face. And I will sometimes say, you know what? I love you. Until you can love yourself. I think if we love people <laughs> until they can love themselves, because when, when you are hurting, yeah. you're going to hurt other people. 
You know, if you've been harmed, it's very hard not to harm other people. You're like a raccoon in the corner of a garage. You don't mean no harm. You see, sometimes it's just defense, and and you're you're striking, you know, and you're striking out because you you know it's all you know. You're like Bindi with a with a German Shepherd, Great Dane, and uh, and a couple other you know little pit bulls running by uh, at the beach today. You yeah, know, it's like yeah. she's like. Oh. <laughs> so I would say you know model that love, model yeah. you know even for others, like for them for themselves that they you know if they can't get there, you know. And they can't get there immediately, so they're going to have to start learning that there is at least somebody that they can trust that's going to consistently be loving, yeah. not manipulative and using them right. and trying to dominate them or get something from them. Yeah, and the, uh, and the other thing, too, that really stands out here is a part about the sage is not closed-minded, uh, but considers what ordinary folks have on their minds. We kind of you know, talked a little bit about this earlier on in one of the chapters, but the idea of, you know, so many times if we so quickly you know, categorize things, label things or whatever, uh, we miss, you know, what actually is going on around us. So that meditation, that being present, you know, and, and that is part of that openness to be able to see what is in front of us rather than what we hope (laughs) was in front of us. that isn't, or, or that we just, you know, that we're denying because we, (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because we are afraid to admit that thing, you know, those fears that you mentioned. So it's that open mindedness to be open to every, you know, the relationships that you have and things like that and take them on an individual basis rather than lump summing, you know, things or just say, oh, I got this. I understand this and just assume that that's exactly what's going on here. That's a good eye, Stacey, because I think that is actually one of the most important points that we didn't talk about ahead of time but maybe one of the most important points of all in all of this, which is the open-mindedness means if my kids are upset, maybe they're right about something. It could be. It's possible that they're right. So listen. Yeah, like if somebody's going, ow. Yeah, listen. You can justify why you made them say ow, but maybe... If Maybe, they're saying ow, yeah. <laughs> trust that they're yeah. owing, you right. know, <laughs> right, and finding right. out why they got their owies. Now, sometimes you got to get your kids vaccinated. Those of you vaccinate your kids. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like that, that pinprick yeah. is something that, yeah, okay, it's owie. But like, you know why that's happening. Right. So you got to know, all right, this is, this is how that's supposed to be experienced. But being closed-minded, you know, oh, don't do that. That's called meditation. And meditation is what Buddhists do. Yeah, it's what like, every person who's smart does <laughs> right. you know and healthy right, right? so so you stopped it oh, oh i don't want to care about that because that's being woke oh don't be virtuous because that's virtue signaling oh don't you know you just label this thing so you can just dismiss it right. i'm not telling you you got to go for it but there might be something there for you there might be something there for you maybe you've been duped friend into thinking that the thing that you're fighting so hard for is in your best interest when in fact it is enslaving you and maybe, you know, do research before you, you know, go look to see what people are saying on meditation. Real research, peer-reviewed, yeah. you yeah. know, journal articles and things, you know. Don't just read. <laughs> I just saw one of these goofy articles that said, like, you know, all you the kids go- are going to hell because of yoga. And you see these, like. Yeah, you can go on the know. internet and find whatever you want that will validate whatever You might have to learn to do some research. But, but real research. I'm talking uh, about. You know, here's the real research. People you trust. Yes. Know them. Understand them. So your kids are saying something. Sit down and spend hours saying, why are you voting this way? Or, you're an anarchist, why aren't you voting? (laughs) Just understand them. 
Mm-hmm. Understand your family by beholding your family. Understand the world by beholding the world. Not your idea about the way the world should be, but the way the world is, and then learn how to flex with it, how to ride it to a place of safety for you, your family, get the whole world back on balance. Yeah. You know what it reminds me of? You know, uh, when we talk with our son, Augie, a lot of times he'll get really excited about uh, some, you know, like, some kind of food or, or, you know, these like specialty drinks and things like that. And so when he's looking around and he sees of a store owner that has really quality things and he really likes what they've put into it, he's like, I might want to work there just so I can kind of apprentice under this person, you know, and the same thing with, with a chef or something, you know, like you want to apprentice under somebody that you respect you know, their, their business model or, you know, or how, what they're creating, whatever it is, whatever, you know, whatever beautiful thing that they're doing with their life, you know, reach out sometimes to these folks and, and, you know, or, or do work for them, you know, even if it's a, a, for him, it's, even if it's a more of a minimum wage thing, if he's learning, you know, something from how to be from somebody. It is interesting that you mentioned Augie because like, you know, he, we were thinking, is he going to get a master's degree? He's mm-hmm. on the dean's list. You know, he's, he, like, he did better than, than I did in college mm-hmm. in similar fields, but, but did, did it like, I wish I had done just like he did it. Mm. But what did he learn? That he doesn't need to get a PhD for the title. He asked himself, what does he want to do? And uh, he loves mezcal. And however, you're <laughs> supposed to pronounce that. Every time I say mezcal, I feel like he, <laughs> I have still not perfected whatever I'm doing wrong with mezcal. It's mezcal. <laughs> I, like I say mezcal. all sorts of words wrong, so but I can't even. This kid, I, I'm like, well, why are people like the mezcal? And he's telling me about this particular plant that it comes from and the way they, they ferment this thing and why this one matters and why this one's flavorful. I mean, and he is just, what is he doing? He's understanding the earth's flavor itself. He's in heaven. Yeah. He doesn't do it for the money. Like, he loves. Right. Food. Well, and seeing and how the art of making this, things. Yeah, this flavor brings out a different, you know, aspect of another yeah. flavor and how they can work together to create, you know, you, some you, other beautiful thing. Do you think it would have been better or worse for him if he had gone just straight into culinary school? Because in a weird way, I think him going to a liberal arts program and studying philosophy and, and art and and literature and history and all this. Helped him to understand the meaning behind these things so that he, he's not just learning how to make something. Right. He understands the way it's communicating something. Yeah. And, and, and the that way is it's a, ex- the experience. And that it. is a, you know, a huge piece because you mentioned even with, you know, those of your students that are getting a history degree, you can study the history of just about anything. Right. <laughs> but you've got to learn, you know, the, the methods of how do you do research and how yeah. do you, you know, study something so that you can dive into yes. whatever area or hey, arena. Hey friends, come study with Jeff Mallinson <laughs> next year, starting in fall. It's not too late to sign up. Get on get on board for us. Um there may be some spots. And uh, what we do, you know, in history and political thought, what's kind of fun about it at Concordia University of Irvine is um is though that uh students will study textiles and they'll study the history of food and you can study the history of paper you know, like there's mm-hmm. these different things that will help you to understand maybe something that you want to get into that's an industry even right. but you want to understand it deeply you know yeah um you could even you know become a baseball historian for goodness sake if you're you know into sports like history is everything but the point is it's about opening your mind to these experiences and people and ideas so that you can get your open mind 
allowing yourself to get some perspective. Right. You're not trapped in your own little world. Right. You know. And and I think and I think for Augie, yes, he could have just gone to culinary school. I do think that there was a part of his brain that was was tickled and excited about the learning of these different, you know, learning philosophy, learning history and some of these other things that I think he might have wanted to come back around if he if he skipped that part and went to culinary school there's probably a part of him yeah that would maybe yes. want to go into the academic side yeah. if he or or regret that he didn't and, and i said that and i said like that he he was able i think he's able to speak to people about things in those terms yeah that makes when he's going to serve you some kind of mezcal cocktail that he's concocted <laughs> That uh, he's he going to tell you a story. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, makes more than assistant professors, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. know how this is worth. I know. Um, side <laughs> issue. Side, I, 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 no one told me that. <laughs> like, yeah. But um, but also he may go on later now that he's saved up some money and get a degree. But he's going to know now what he's going to be studying for some purpose, right? right? Maybe he wants to be a food historian, but now he's going to really understand and he's going to have that real world experience. And that's what this chapter is talking about as we conclude. It's like to heal the world, you got to be in the world. You got to mix yourself with it. You right. got to be a part of it. It's not that you're engaged the overlord. with the world. Yeah, this is the dance we're doing together. Well, and that's a, the, so engaged with the world, but engaged with I don't, the ingredients that when you are cooking, uh, you know, what are you putting into your food? And, yeah. you know, what? It, there's so many different yeah. ways in which we sometimes just do life to get it done <laughs> and we're not actually engaged with it. We're not actually thinking about, you know, the sacrifices that were made for us yeah. to have the food on, on our table and respecting that. I, 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 maybe the listeners will write in and, and give us your thoughts, what you would like us to focus on next, uh, next round. Uh, sometime in summer, we'll shift from whatever we're calling arbitrarily season three, which we're in right <laughs> now and just concluded in our main, main uh, emphasis here. Uh, and then we're going to go into something in season four, uh, some things we've talked about again, uh, looking at Rumi, Rumi, the Persian po poet and philosopher, uh, looking at uh, something in the Hebrew texts, rabbinical, maybe uh, uh, someone has suggested Solomon. Mm -hmm. And by Solomon, we would we would include things that some people say aren't Solomon, like Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, uh, parts of Proverbs written, obviously not by Solomon, but we'll look at the wisdom literature in mm -hmm. the Hebrew traditions. Um, but... I didn't want to, like, you know, bother the, the listeners with too much of our own banter. But, baby, I also was thinking, uh, and I want to talk to you about this after we record, uh, the spirituality of food. Mm. It would not be the only thing we talk about, okay? But liberating, right, we've, we've talked about, like, re, you know, religious, emotional, spiritual emancipation. Mm -hmm. In many ways, part of what's going on in our world is the way we, the way we eat, what we eat, and... Uh, the, the, the ways in which this actually is connected to a way of viewing spirituality and ethics could be a side issue. We'll at least do a be show on it. Spirituality <laughs> and the blank, and then bring in guests. <laughs> oh, now, as we're well. now we're now we're now we're workshopping it, friends. Anyway. But feel free to, to shoot us any ideas if you if you'd like it. Uh, but in all of these things, we're not going anywhere. You come along for the ride because we're going to take a little bit of time here to not be on a theme, but we're going to let the theme come to us as we conclude season three and begin season four on the road up the coast, Pacific Coast Highway. If, by the way, you're listening to this and you got a little place that we can pull in, maybe we'll roll into your side yard. We'll come out and barbecue up some uh, 
some uh, veggies and throw them on some tacos and uh, who knows. But uh, do be in touch with us. If you're a patron, friends, we're behind a little bit, no doubt, on the, uh, on the publication of things. But there will be discounts and uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps some other even goodies that come to those of, uh, those of you who have been uh, supporters. Thank you to those of you Absolutely. who have Thank been supporting you. us. There's been a lot of great work. And, uh, and it's been just a, pl- a pleasure to be able to do this thanks to uh, your kindness and uh, your high fives. And in all these things, baby, we wish you all peace upon peace. so much friends for joining us for this episode of the protect your noggin podcast you want to join in on the conversation we'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show you can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button and don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending you can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much. Hey there, friends. In our travels across the U.S., we have found a website that we absolutely love. It's called Harvest Hosts. Could you imagine camping overnight in a vineyard, distillery, brewery, or a golf course all to yourself? We've been doing it, and it is absolutely magical. If you go to our website, protectyournoggin.org, you'll find a link where you can sign up and get 15% discount on the annual fee. We think it'll put a smile on your face, and you can help support the podcast at the same time. All you need is an RV or camper with a toilet and cooking facilities, and you can stay all around the country for free. We hope you dig it as much as we do. Check it out.